Welcome to the Cybernautics Podcast. I'm your host, Sithorial, joined by my co-host, Jared. In this episode, we explore the basics of XR. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Jared. What's up, Chris? This week, we're getting into everything XR. Ooh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you're going to have to let me and the listeners know a little bit about it, what, what you have, your knowledge-wise, but... Yes, so another term for this is spatial computing, and simply put, it just takes traditional computing and adds a spatial layer to it, just creates a context of things in a location, whether it's a virtual location or a real-world location, which in its own way is still a virtual location. A computer doesn't know the difference, but okay. anyways. Yeah, no, this sounds interesting. Uh, we're going to get to it in a little bit. Uh, for now, let's talk about your experience getting into VR. Yes. So, my first experience was science fiction, specifically uh, Star Trek and the holodeck. Uh, in Star Trek, they have a, a an example of virtual reality where they enter a chamber and there's holograms and you can interact with it all as if it's reality. And uh, I didn't really think about it too much at the time, but it was actually... Because, you know, to me, it was just science fiction, even though, you know, I was young and didn't really know the difference anyways. (laughs) But it was actually when I first heard of the Wii that I started to get really, I got really excited about the idea of VR. And I know the Wii is uh, far way off from the VR that we have today, the Nintendo Wii. Um, But just the concept of being able to... Uh, physically, like, physically, physically move and interact. Affect the affect the yeah. environment. Yeah. So that got me super excited, and that was when I first was like, "This is something that is going to exist within my lifetime. This is something that I, I can learn and contribute to." And, and for I, me personally, the idea of actually inventing VR concepts and working with it is actually a lot more fun than using it as a developer so that's that's an interesting thing that's a good trait to have as a developer (laughs) (laughs) oh actually i want to touch on the Wii briefly you mentioned uh or we mentioned last week how we're kind of in the infancy here and this the Wii just when you brought up the Wii, it made me think of it that is like really the the very beginning of like games infecting your environment i I guess like You have like Dance Dance. <laughs> you count like <laughs> True. Dance True. Dance Revolutions is like even predecessor to the Wii. Yeah. But the Wii was like probably the least encumbered version yeah. of something for its And time. it kind of got followed up with the Xbox Connect, which I would say was much less successful. Yes. I I remember using the Connect myself and <laughs> Yes, much less successful. It was just a bit before its time of trying to get rid of controllers even though even today in VR, we mostly use controllers for our games. So I think it's uh, useful to even just hold something in your hand either way. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're interacting, if you're holding something within the experience, it's good to, to at least have that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then in uh, 2012, I believe, uh, a man named Palmer Lucky was looking at the market and just interested in VR and looking at what existed and found out that uh, not much did exist. So he created a Kickstarter for a device called Oculus and uh, got, so, it, got it off the ground. It was crowdfunded. It was, um, huh. yeah. So that's, that's actually really recent. <laughs> I, I didn't know it was that recent. Yeah. So 
I don't know how much details you know about it, but when you say got it off the ground, kick, Kickstarter, crowdfunded, did he actually like program it? He had a team behind him that did this for free. Do you know the the war kind of behind this? <laughs> and if not, that's okay. I was just yeah, I don't know specifically. I know, I know John Carmack was there from the beginning, and he was excited by the project, and he ended up working on Oculus and works there to this day. Palmer Lucky is not. He was fired by Facebook after Facebook bought Oculus. Uh, that's its own whole story that okay. we will not get into. Um, but yeah, but beyond that, I'm not sure. I know a lot of the technology foundations was actually made by NASA. No, uh, oh, I guess that makes sense. They're usually like yeah. the leading environment for thing for you know, <laughs> a lot of technological advances. Yep. So NASA and I think probably the military had their own uses for VR, but specifically NASA, that was like tens of thousands of dollars for a device and you know Palmer Lucky wanted something consumer level and uh, so he came out with with Oculus and so I followed it from that point I did not get the first development kit but I got the dev kit too that was my first experience and there was just a a website of just people posting their experiments and uh, different like roller coasters and rides and and stuff like that. So when you say DevKit 2, was the headset already out at this time? So there was a it was a headset that was the Oculus DevKit 2 was what it was called. That's that, what was okay. its, that was like, its name. That was its name. Gotcha. Uh, so that was followed up by the Oculus Rift and followed up by the Rift S and then the Quest, which is what we have actually the Quest in between two is that. Out now, right? Now we're at the Quest 2. In there, there was also the Oculus Go, which was the very first standalone. Um, yeah, so all of that was followed up by the Quest, which is the latest in Oculuses. So that's that's where I have all my experiences with Oculus headsets. Um, around there are many others in the the field now. Mm-hmm. Uh, early on, the main competitor to Oculus was HTC, the HTC Vive. Oh uh, yeah, I hear about that. That's one more expensive, generally correct. Yeah, so Oculus and Facebook in general, well, now Meta, their main goal is to build an ecosystem, which just means going for the cheapest device so to get it into as many people's hands as possible, to yeah. make it as easy for developers to develop for it as possible, and to just so build up the field before they start getting into the more advanced stuff. So super simplifying this, it sounds like the HTC is more of the luxury car version. <laughs> HTC and Meta, Facebook, uh, obviously Oculus is the uh, the Kias, the Hondas. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know much about cars. But sure, <laughs> fair enough. Okay. <laughs> um, Valve released their own headset, which was also a very popular, mm-hmm. um, and released Half Life Alex as one of the first really, like, majorly polished VR games. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now there are a, a lot of different headset options, and, yeah. Er, also early on, there was the Google Cardboard. Uh, I haven't I'm not heard gonna, of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the Google Cardboard, it is basically just this idea of using your phone as the screen and then having this, like, $5, <clears throat> like, just cardboard fold that you can stick it up to your face this sounds like the 3d glasses you put on at the movie theaters pretty much yeah (laughs) that was the the 3d glasses the um it wasn't that successful and since then google kind of just gave up 
Yeah. Oh, so Google does. Google do also that. tried the um, Google Glass, which also wasn't very successful. So they also kind of gave up on that as well. Interesting, but I feel like Google Glass, that's the actual glasses, right? It was, I think their biggest issue was that they marketed it like as straight up augmented reality far before the time where even today we don't have good augmented reality glasses. Yes. So they just dramatically made the expectations like... Yeah, they kind of drew themselves into the ground by making the expectations so high. Yeah. Huh. Because I feel like the Google Glass is, or something, maybe not Google Glass, named, some, not named Google Glass, but something in a similar vein is going to come out. Yes. Well, the most similar thing is um, today Meta has uh, their own smart glasses. They aren't attempting uh, augmented reality yet, but they're just glasses that have a camera and can record and stuff. And I think Snapchat actually has their own glasses, which I have not looked into. Oh, geez, so. okay. So I know Snapchat's really uh, going into it. So don't forget to charge your glasses at night. <laughs> yep. Don't forget <laughs> to charge your glasses. All right, let's move over to the uh, next topic in our show notes here. We have, uh, what do we have here? So the strengths and weaknesses of, of VR versus traditional 2D design. So I'd say the strengths is the idea of being immersed in whatever you're doing. Uh, you have much more uh, interaction with it uh, that's also a weakness as far as designing for it is it's a you have to go a lot farther for the same feeling of polish where if it's just something you're doing for your phone or for a desktop app um, it takes a lot more work to get it to feel good in VR yeah so and I just want to say quickly too for the listeners um the podcast, as, as we go on, you'll probably figure this out if you listen to us through and through. But we're probably going to be tackling most of this from the VR uh, type of type of lens here. Mm-hmm. And then going back to 2D for or traditional design for whatever reason. Whether it's like um, for me bringing it back up because that's what I'm more familiar with. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm not too familiar with either. <laughs> but I'm more familiar with traditional uh, design at least versus yeah. VR. But we are going to be looking at things through the VR lens. Yeah, just because that's what I have studied the most. And yes. and that's we'll, we'll keep it general, but I'm also just taking things from my, my own perspective and my own experience. So Yeah, exactly. That's why we're just making this episode early on to cover what I know and the way that I look at things so that we have that, that uh, field covered. Yep. Yes. So, with the phone... <laughs> uh, yeah, the phone didn't really work out well for VR, but it is the main device at this point for augmented reality, which is it kind of serves as like this window and only really the high-end devices can do this well where it can it has to in real time kind of sense the environment, sense the the uh space that you're in in order to place things in it in a way that it feels good. Um I know one of the early apps there was something where you could just add dinosaurs to your world and look around <laughs> at dinosaurs. But and, early apps, like, there was no um, awareness of the scene, so you'd just point your phone at a wall and you'd see a dinosaur and just, like, just blending against the wall. To the wall. Yes. Yeah. And I know uh, you mentioned this last week, so it's nothing new, but the kind of biggest, um, biggest app that uses this, the most well 
popularized one is probably Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go. Well, what Pokemon Go did really well is uh, as well. Um, beyond the augmented reality lens, it went the idea of finding things specifically like in the world. So you have to travel to a, a real world location. It doesn't necessarily use. Well, you can have AR. You can turn that off, and it still interacts with the world. Yep, I know they give you that option. Yeah. So, and I know today, and there there have always been ways to get around it where people can just sit in their house and use like GPS, like fake GPS things to walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Around. Yep. But, um, yeah, that, that's something I want to get into. Is Niantic, the company that made Pokemon Go, they are still heavily in the field of trying to progress this technology uh they're working on ar technology that can make it so uh, multiple people from multiple devices can see the same pokemon just walking around that that pokemon can walk behind stuff and you can actually see it like jump onto something in your environment and you can actually battle your pokemon and all of that I didn't even, so, wow, that, that just made me think of a lot. I didn't even think about how in-depth that can go. Yes. Yes. Translating it's, between devices sounds like it's going to be a nightmare. It's incredibly complex, especially <laughs> yeah, so, on, like, a network. Because then the devices and, have to be communicating with each other, yes. but also synced up to the same environment. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> now, I want to get into Niantic's philosophy, I think, is the one that I agree with the most, where there's lots of different um, ideas of the metaverse at this point. Uh, very much popularized by Mark Zuckerberg and Meta, um, really going all in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's not one strict like future for the metaverse. It's kind of up to all of us and all the individual companies how Depends they want to how they well. want to build it. Yeah. And Niantic's vision is this thing of let's use all of the exact same technology that Meta might use to create, you know, these purely virtual worlds or purely virtual social interactions let's take that all and make the main focus um on our world on stuff like getting people out into the world get them you know i'm sure a lot of people have memories of pokemon go where they go to like a gym or a pokestop and run into other people that are playing pokemon go i remember i was walking around in chicago one time and i was like walking out i went up to a field and two guys walked up to me and they were like are you attacking my gym i was like ah but i ended up being on the same team as them was, so it was, we had, it was all good yeah we're not getting too off topic. we had a park near my house that everyone like i kid you not like up to a year after pokemon go released there was like 60 people that would just walk up and down this this one strip of uh sidewalks because it was a very very popularized spot but no yes. it's really neat that um niantic is doing something similar but in a different lens because i feel like the more the more companies you have working on it eventually someone's then gonna whoever it is doesn't really matter someone's then gonna design to kind of integrate them together so even if you have one company going you know hard into the vr the other one going hard into augmented reality or even just subsections of either yes something's gonna eventually once they get deep enough they're gonna integrate which is just a benefit yeah and Niantic also, in addition to Pokemon Go, they've been getting into other things like Pikmin and Harry Potter they have an app for. And they have this whole thing of being able to use it all. It's like all the same location. You can go to the same location on each. And this kind of um, goes into the next topic well, which is Mirror Worlds, which is the idea that um, upon, and Pokemon Go is an example of this, where you can add a theme to the world that we have. So you can 
fully theme your world as Pokemon and actually see like real Pokemon centers around and stuff like that if you want. Or this, similarly, people could be playing Pikmin or Harry Potter and to this level, like you all go to the same location, which all has functionality, but for different reasons, but that we're basically we're seeing the world in different ways, but still interacting with it in the same way. Yeah. Which is this very um, so you, interesting concept that I am going to need to explore a lot further. But Yeah, yeah you, you actually spoke about this uh, last week, is almost like having a slider um, between mm-hmm. uh, virtual reality and, and, you know, what you actually see. Mm-hmm. And um, as you adjust that, it gets more in-depth, whatever whatever that be, but yeah. it kind of sounds like... Um, how mirror worlds are going to start, or or what their end game is going to be? I I assume they probably start like a hundred percent. I imagine yeah. the slider is. Well, it started difficult. out as being like VR as the start of being. You either you you know you're in your space or you put on a VR headset and you're fully in yeah, whatever. Yeah, exactly. So it's very much at, uh, starting out the limitations of the devices that to have something that can like augmented reality or something that can blend between is a much more complex goal yeah but it's also like the the best um case i think is to be able to interact with this technology but not be fully removed from your your environment yep so funny enough i'm gonna draw uh parallels here from uh google home Mm -hmm. and i think about this um kind of uh, how how far like into the slider you are like how how immersed you are like for example i go to my house and be like okay google turn the lights to 50 percent. i imagine one day getting to uh like one of these like glasses we have and just being like okay google <laughs> turn my virtual reality to 50 percent. yeah you know something like that and i and that's obviously not in the near future well you never know but you never know but it's that's kind of like how i see like the end goal mm-hmm. for it at least you know but that would be yeah. really neat. But yeah, what's uh, digital twins? So digital twins are this concept of basically creating a virtual simulated environment of a real world environment. So this is something that NVIDIA specifically is doing a lot with. They're creating this idea of the factories of the future where you have every single detail of a real world factory completely simulated within this uh, you know just a a virtual world and then you can have you can for example train robots train the ai of robots to navigate and perform tasks in this virtual uh, replica of a factory and the robots can't tell the difference eventually you just take that trained data put it into a real world robot it navigates around the exact same factory just it's actually doing it Mm -hmm. it doesn't even no, <laughs> which yeah. is a scary thought for. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get there in later episodes. <laughs> yeah, that's that's beyond the scope of this. Um, so that's just a, a very small example is the idea of a factory. But so, Nvidia is also working towards a project that they call like World Two, which is this supercomputer that is simulating the weather of the entire planet. And um, yeah, it's, so I'm gonna I'm gonna. Uh, ask you here what the what do you mean when you say train data so yeah machine learning yeah ai that's because we'll, we'll get into this much more in a future episode mm-hmm. but just on a basic level um machine learning and ai at this level 
just works on this idea that you take a data set. It's kind of like predictive statistics. You take data, you train it on a machine uh, until the point where you can give, well, the basic example is computer vision. So by feeding uh, a computer pictures of cats and dogs and giving it like specific features to look for, like eyes oh, okay. and ears and stuff, yeah. that it can eventually predict when you give it um, just a new picture of a cat that it will then say, well, there's a 90% probability that this is a cat and not a dog. Okay. That's the very basic, and it yeah. ramps up to... Um, you know, a, full, a robot that needs to perform a task and all the things that it needs to keep track of. Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's just this idea that a computer has some sort of programmed end goal in mind, and it's just calculating the statistical probability that whatever action it's taking is the the best way to achieve that goal. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that's that's interesting, but but also scary. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So. With that, um, you know, something like Pokemon Go and what I was talking about, that's also an example of a digital twin as it begins to... Well, there's the difference between doing it all in real time where you every time you look at a piece of geometry, your device maps it out and then things can start interacting with it. Or you point your device towards something and that entire space is already completely labeled and you have... Uh, yeah, you can start to do crazy things with it. Yeah. Um, not, yeah. Okay. Anyways, so let's hop into OpenXR, which is something I've been following. It was very exciting for me. It's not, not necessarily exciting for people in general, but well, it's, let's this, find out. it's this uh, <laughs> development standard, which, you know, at first there was, again, HTC Vive and Oculus mm -hmm. and different... Uh, development platforms like Unreal Engine and Unity and just coding for it directly. And there was no like standard. Every single person kind of had their own pathway towards doing this. Yeah, so like a, a obviously a standardized way of doing yeah. something. So it's like a an open source of, code, almost something like that. Yeah, it is open source. So a, a company, Vulkan, um, yeah, they created this uh, standard and a whole bunch of companies signed off on it including unity and unreal and um, okay. google and just all these big companies just agreed like let's um, come together and create a standard that anyone can write the exact same code and it will be the same for any environment that you're working from and it will be it will be able to deploy on any device that we might come up with mm -hmm. um, so the same program that i write can then be used on a VR headset or could eventually be tweaked very slightly to work on an AR headset. Oh, okay, that's interesting, yeah. So that's, uh, um, at this point, the two main runtimes. You can either have Oculus or Steam VR, and they both can run uh, OpenXR uh, applications. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, very simply, just means that it's much easier to develop a, an app once and have it work on everything it makes cross-platform much easier. That, yeah, that's, so that, that's kind of what I was thinking of um, when you were describing this. I was thinking like cross-platform games as like a to like draw parallels to once again. Mm -hmm. So this is just going to be cross-platform um, code or or just ways to use the uh, whatever it is between between devices, platforms, whatever it is. 
Yeah, and it also makes it very easy where if you want to create a new uh, peripheral, if you want to create a new way to track something, you have something to target, and uh, different companies can still come up with very different devices, but they can continue to expand upon the standard Mm -hmm. over time, and it can be this kind of living, growing entity of open source. And so... Yeah, I mean, I assume the, the, the waiter, add to it. Yeah, the, the longer you wait to learn this sort of stuff, the easier it will be to actually develop for it because there'll be more tools. There'll be And once again, this is just a, a net positive for all the consumers, at, yeah. le- at least from our perspective, because it just means all these these big companies are pooling their resources together to an extent. They're obviously yeah. still competing with each other. They're still competing. But yeah. they're, they're at least using each other as resources to help speed up along the process. Yeah, the one company that... Uh, does not support it and oh, probably will not. Doesn't play nice with others? Okay. Is Apple. Oh. Uh, it's kind of anything open source, anything, you know, Apple is a very centralized focused uh, thing. They don't like. Apple's number one is Apple. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Apple is one of the leaders in uh, augmented reality when it comes to phones. Okay. And they are working on uh, glasses and their own VR headset, but it will not support OpenXR. And so. Gotcha. I, I'm not going to make any conclusions on how that will go. It's just an interesting thing it's where like, it's kind of like the entire ecosystem and then you have Apple and they'll create their own ways to build. It's like now if you have an Apple phone versus like, yeah, if you have an Apple phone versus like an Android phone, it's nothing, nothing different, just new product, same philosophy. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So yeah, what about uh, VRCades here? Huh? So VRCades, um, this is a bit of an interesting topic. Because the VRCades were something that was gaining a lot of momentum, uh, let's say, a few years ago. Um, where it's these physical locations that you go to. I yeah. think, to, to me, it was like the best way to first jump into VR, where you have people who are trained to introduce. It's kind of a skill in itself to I, give people their first VR experience. Yes. And, and it is an experience. I mean, I don't know about you, or, but... When I first started using VR, like, uh, just as a consumer, it was actually made me sick. Like, yeah. uh, very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. That's something we can talk about in itself, which yeah. is... But let's let's get into that after. Okay. So, yeah, with VRcades, uh, to me, it was, like, the, op- the optimal way to introduce people to VR because not only... Well, well first of all, of people products. don't ha- necessarily have a great space at home to, yes, exactly. to move around. Um, so they have a product you can go, and then they can also have extra stuff, like um, if you're driving a car or flying a plane or something, you're on this rig that shifts with you, and it adds that extra level of immersion. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But unfortunately, uh, right when they were like really gaining momentum, we ran into a global pandemic, and yes. they became the last place yeah. you would ever <laughs> want to go, where you put on sh- devices that other people worn. have worn on your face, and so, so they, they, they have largely died out. Um, but you know, now some are trying to come back. Yeah, I imagine we'll see a resurgence, and we'll see we'll see how that goes into the future. I think it was worth mentioning, and it's worth keeping an eye on. Yeah, but it's it's kind of hard just because of the new, uh, you know, caution that people, that people have. have. Understandably, but um, yeah. one really interesting uh, application good... was this uh, place called the Void, where they would create like it was a whole 
environment where, and this is goes um, with other concepts that we've talked about, where it was like a fully VR headset, but they would design like a whole track that you would walk through. Oh, wow. And so the walls would all be there. Then you'd have like a gun that you'd be holding and something would come around. And so they created these different um, experiences where, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the whole place was just immersive. It's like a, a lot of VR is like one step away from LARPing in a way, I feel. Okay. Where it's like you're fully stepped into it. You just have that level of immersion where you don't really necessarily have to put on an act or like role play it. Yeah. But to a degree, I think there is still that level of uh, role playing, even yeah. even unconsciously, like really putting yourself in the, the shoes of what you're experiencing. Yeah, just to, yeah, I mean, VR in, in itself is just like getting more immersed in the environment really yeah. or, or just switching it entirely which is the same concept though yeah and i think that's uh that something makes- that'll be very fun for the future of like indie filmmaking is this ability to just create even just a full-on game but just uh you know it's almost like a dungeons and dragons thing where you can have a a game master who's writing like this environment and you have players that can actually interact with a oh, game that's really neat. and yeah. then it's act to it and um, like yeah, he's writing it and it's changing in real time. Yeah. Okay. Or, yeah, even just to the point of a full-on script. I know mm-hmm. something like Avatar, the movie, v- very much used this concept. And yeah. uh, in filmmaking, there's stuff where um, different environments are created virtually first. Then you can look in a VR headset and kind of cue up your camera angles. Just in this world where filmmaking is more and more, like... Yeah. So in scenery that doesn't exist, it's kind actually, of very useful to, for actors especially, I think, to actually be able to see the world that they're reacting to. So I'm actually kind of curious because you said, uh, you know, look at use their cameras to look at it through like the VR, three uh, R VR like kind of sight wise. So do they have VR lenses for cameras? I imagine they have to, right? VR cameras is that a, <laughs> does that exist? Um. So or, yeah. there's this idea of. And this is one use of the word mixed reality is this idea of lining up a real world camera with a virtual camera. Um, so this is something that VRcades did a lot, and um, anyone on YouTube, especially playing Beat Saber, you might see where they physically they have a real world camera pointed at them, uh, matched up with the virtual scene, so that they themselves can be like in the scene while they're playing the game. Um, other than that, there's just the idea of having a virtual camera rig, at which point you don't necessarily need a real camera. You can just basically use a VR controller, which is tracked, and have okay. that be a virtual camera. That, that makes way, like, sense, yeah. Cue up the angles and stuff. All right, well, that, I guess that actually brings us a little bit into our next point here, which is uh, peripherals and extension technologies. And what do we mean yeah. by that? Well, we can start off by first addressing... The idea of uh, motion VR sickness, simulation sickness. Yeah. Um, and I know this is a big one for a lot of new users. For a lot of new users. Uh, for me personally, I started with a very uh, experimental device. I jumped straight into like <laughs> massive things. Like I, It's hard to say even how much it affected me at first because over time your body does get used to it. And the best, uh, I, I don't know how necessarily scientific this is but the the theory that i learned early on was that there's this idea that if you eat something poisonous that 
it might start to like give you hallucinations and you might start to see the world differently. Mm-hmm. And so when you wear VR, your body's like noticing like what I'm seeing is not what I'm experiencing. And so maybe I'm poisoned. Yeah, and like, so yeah. it makes you nauseous to like throw up the poison. Yeah, it makes sense that because I know, I know like a lot of things, a lot of your senses are through your uh, sight and ears, yeah. obviously all super connected, but it's like becoming disassociated with yeah. your senses and yeah, it causes to get that nauseous feeling. And over time, you can build up a resistance. Obviously, that's yeah. not sustainable. So I know there was a device, again, I think it was for the military where there's like this thing that you would put behind your ear and it would vibrate in a certain way Hmm. that you would, it would, it was for stopping uh, both simulator sickness and motion sickness for if you're on like a boat. Yeah. Interesting. Um, So that's one option. I don't know if that's a really consumer friendly option. So that's a big thing that I'm kind of curious about. In my, in my opinion, the most consumer friendly option is the one that's going to dominate in the end, just because just Mm -hmm. by the nature of it. Um, Right now, the motion sickness is not very consumer-friendly. Yeah. And it's definitely a big hurdle that these companies are going to have to figure out some very, uh, you know, low-resistant way. Yeah. Because people... And I think that way is augmented reality, basically. That you start off with this very, like, where you can, over time, increase. Where I think it, it might not be something that's easily solved. But you start by just adding things to your environment and over time slowly add more and more and well, kind was, of work your way up to full VR where your body and your mind just can kind of get used to the concept. I will say this. I mean, Maybe. I, I, yeah, I'd have, to, I'd have to imagine if this becomes uh, widespread and adopted, people will go through, you know, trials and tribulations to an extent to get over, you know, <laughs> the, the little sickness. I have to imagine, like, if, if it is adopted so widespread that it's, like, innate or used in everyday functions, future generations that grow up on it would probably start from a very young age using, like, a similar type product, a, a VR type product. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't really have the same problem. We're probably running into it now because it's... New. Yeah, yeah. it's new, and now a lot of the users are older and they didn't have this, so... Yeah. But I can imagine someone who's a kid is not going to have this problem. And kind of like we talked about, this is the infancy. Yeah. It's not widespread yet. But I can imagine when it's widespread that this is, the problem could go away on its own. Yeah. It's just the generations we're in is is not the one yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this is also one of the main challenges of being a VR developer is, especially as a developer, you run into the absolute extremes of like VR jankiness of the camera like spinning around like crazy or just things not being good and so i've become completely used to it where you know i can just stand and keep my balance while the camera's going absolutely crazy okay but i've you know seen people where something like that happens and they completely lose their balance so yeah so that that's a, a challenge and that's user testing with people who haven't used vr is crucial in every everything that you make just and that's one of the weaknesses of developing for vr first traditional and it's always useful to have um an outside view but it is a challenge it's just even more of a disconnect between the developer and their game yeah with the way that they perceive it i think it'll work itself out yeah just how soon is the question yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think one of the main things is just the more immersive it becomes, like the less, like the more it just feels like reality, yep. and the more it just matches, the less your body will 
question it yeah. as well. So there's also that level of getting past it just by getting so good that it just completely tricks the body, which is scary in its own way. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of this is scary, okay. uh, but we'll, we'll, we can yeah, discuss yeah, we a lot of that, that later. But let's go into some of... Uh... So other uh, yeah peripheral technology. So this is just the idea of we start off with eyes, basically, with... So um, this is VR the is just this way of yeah adding more and more senses to the game. So we start with eyes and audio mostly yeah. as the kind of two primary ways that we um, and that's kind of immersed. where we're at now. Yeah, that's okay. where we're at, and you only really track your head and your hands for a lot of things. Yeah. Um, but the more peripherals add better tracking. So full body tracking is going to be a an important step. And when, I just want to clarify when I say where we're at now. I know there is more advanced tracking out there. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not being naive in that. I'm saying, but in terms of what the average person who who uses it, yeah, uh, as like for whatever experience, that's probably the primary way the average person is using. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I know HTC Vive has had, well, they had things where you would stick trackers onto your feet and your waist and stuff to get full body tracking Mm -hmm. um there's also options of like having a camera that points at you and tracks there's just so many different ways um one thing that yeah (laughs) there's full body suits of course those those do exist they're very expensive (laughs) um uh meta has a like smartwatch technology that they're working on okay which uh tracks it actually picks up the uh neural signals that are being sent to your hand so that they can uh, do full hand tracking, do full hand tracking just by sensing what you're intending to do to the point where you can like hold your hand closed and like intend to move your hand and it could track that. So someone who doesn't have use of their hand, but can still send signals up to there. And so that's That's uh, brain computer interface technology. That'd be really uh, special for someone who can get yeah, into all of that. Yep. It also gets into the ability to have, for example, a robot arm and p- to be able to control that with the signals sent to yep. right up to that point. And so your body, your brain can kind of continue to to do all that. Okay. Wow. Um, Valve, so Valve, the company that is behind uh, Steam, that has made games such as Left 4 Dead and uh, Portal. They, I, I listened to a whole thing where they talked about brain-computer interfaces. So first there's this, to get a little bit behind brain-computer interfaces, so basically what I just talked about, where it can read uh, electromagnetic signals uh, in any part of your body, but most of the time you have it placed on your head itself. It reads brain signals. It learns to read them, at least, do lots of machine learning, as we talked about earlier. The brain is still incredibly complex, and we can still only... (laughs) <laughs> pick up on the most basic patterns. Yeah. But one concept that they gave as a a use case, which I think would be a game I would absolutely love, was just well they explained how Left for Dead, they designed it as like this almost like a story as far as intensity where it ramps up to all the zombies, like the high intensity zombies attacking you. Mm-hmm. Uh but they talked about this idea of using uh fear as a way to the the calm the calmer you can stay the easier you can just walk through the level but as soon as you start to your blood rate starts to increase the sooner oh. you you start to feel fear and you're fully immersed 
at this point as well. If a zombie starts running towards you, if you don't remain zen, it's kind of like that sends off signals to the other zombies of like, oh, something's going on over there. And so you have to, like there's a gameplay element of trying to remain calm under highly (laughs) stressful situations. And the more stressed out you get, the more zombies come after you. I just think that would be so much fun. And they have a lot of ways they could measure that. Heart rate. Yeah. You know, sweat, a whole bunch of different things. That's actually really neat. Yeah. So that's just one example. And it's also an interesting idea towards uh, if you do have something that you're afraid of, that you can really track your progress. If you, I mean, VR is the perfect device for immersion therapy. uh, For if you're afraid of heights that you can put on a VR headset and Mm -hmm. you, you, um, I know people still react to it, but you still have that level of like I'm not actually at an edge. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so yeah, it's they this could way conquer of, their fear in VR, which isn't going to 100 percent translate to you know. Yeah, but it's it's it's, it's a step in the right direction. It. Yeah. It's easier than walking up to the top of the roller coaster in real life than yeah. you know. And there's also interesting studies of using it instead of like pain medication, even Ooh. that if by distracting yourself with a VR headset. Um, they're able to use that as an alternative towards pain drugs and that's proved to be decently effective. Just put the brain waves directly into it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, so how about omnidirectional treadmills? So, yes. This is something that I still want a really good version of. There are a couple consumer options that are both expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically the idea of being able to walk in real life and have that translate to virtual movement in the game. Yeah, because right now we have the controllers, obviously, with the joysticks still. You want to be able to move your physical body. Yeah, I want to be able to physically. And yep. this is, I think, one of the most important things to making VR from something that's entertaining to something that is practically useful. Mm-hmm. For, like, if I'm playing vr skyrim and i have to walk across that whole that's landscape all, yeah, all, that's a real exercise and yeah that is fun i mean and to, you, if a wolf starts chasing you and you have to run it's like whoa and, and just imagine <laughs> how much easier to be like like for example i i run but i hate running yeah. but if i was running because i was playing a game or whatever i guarantee you that i'm swinging mind your arm because you're like hitting a dragon or yeah i guarantee you i wouldn't mind it obviously yeah. this is it's a bit complicated. Like this is really nice when I think of like a uh, VR arcade that we talked about. Yes, you know, it's very. It's open space. It's designed for it. And they can have those very expensive devices and make their money back. But when you're a home consumer, and you, little, you have to set up like a designated space for it, and you tougher. have to buy all the equipment, it is a lot tougher. And that's yeah. why I think VR arcades could be very important. But it's just. It, it remains it, it, to be seen how well they're able to recover. Yeah, okay. Yeah. No, that's really neat, though. How about haptics? So haptics, so on a very basic level, uh, haptics we all can have from the N64, the rumble pack that you plug in. That was the first where the controller shakes yeah, when okay. something happens. That's the yep. very basic version. Um, even my Oculus controllers today kind of use the same thing where they just kind of shake when something happens. Mm-hmm. But that can very much upgrade with... Well, I mean, with everything else, it's just this um, well, how about trying to get towards greater immersion. So Define haptic real quick for people who may not know. So, yeah, a haptic is this idea of a feedback, basically. Yep. A physical feedback to something that's happening happening within the game, within the experience. Yeah, so like in, a, in like an extreme example, you're playing a game, you get shot, and 
maybe you're wearing a full body suit that you yes. paid all that money for. Yep. It's really nice and you feel like a jolt or something like that. Yeah, like you feel honor. a jolt. You feel like a pressure. Or an actual physical response the, the to suit. the game. And this goes to pretty much anything you can think of with uh, physical senses, basically. Temperature. Mm-hmm. If your the suit them. could like raise or lower your temperature. Yep. Um, so there are haptic gloves, which also um, can serve for the tracking element and that's one of the things that makes this all uh complicated is that there's so many different ways to do the exact same thing that it's like well do you want to go you can just have a device that tracks your whole body or you can have a a full body like haptic suit which you feel all that those pressure points and but it is good that it's like it serves duality of purpose there yeah that i can track and also and this is where OpenXR becomes very important again where because there's so many different ways to do the same thing to have a single way to develop where you can anyone can have any setup and it's it all works on the same game basically mm-hmm. that's just where that becomes gotcha. full circle very very useful yeah um, another aspect towards haptics is the idea of force feedback or that for example if you have a haptic glove with a resistance or like if there's something to pick up uh, within a virtual environment, just a little cube, let's mm-hmm. just imagine, that by closing your hands on it, the glove itself actually locks up so that you physically cl- can't close your hand more than the dimensions of the cube. And with this, it something like, uh, you know, there's a huge uh, fandom around, like, driving games where you could get, like, a whole steering wheel and foot pedals and yep. all of that. If you can just have one like suit that has adds that resistance so you can physically grab and feel that steering wheel or then you can switch over to a flight game and actually touch the dashboard of a plane or while, whatever you're doing yeah while this is all or super, playing a shooter and you grab a gun exactly and, yeah while this is all super neat it does one of the things i think of when we're discussing this is safety issues that arise yeah. um i imagine uh, that's something that companies are going to have to tackle sooner rather than later especially in the uh thing of like uh a physical device you're wearing, like locking up a limb or heating yeah. something up. I imagine we're going to see a lot of disclaimers or, you know, just um, ways to forcefully exit the programming game where it's just going to release everything right away. I imagine that's already exists. You <laughs> Almost know? like some sort of safe word. but Safe word, yeah, yeah. Or, or just something. Yeah, and I think one thing that is probably going to be seen a lot and is that you don't necessarily need to go... You don't need, you need to, to go, go all the way. Yeah, we're just talking about the extreme. That the imagination right does a lot towards yeah. when you want to experience something. Like you can, if you want to show that it's a hot day, you only need to heat up sl- the tiniest yeah, bit. Yeah, you don't need to. That the device, to... even then, you know, there's still going to be a lot of safety. from these things. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, you know, if there's a big waterfall in front of you, that you just feel like the tiniest mist on your face. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. ah, I'm immersed. Yes, exactly. No, you're right. <laughs> yep, just a little bit. Um, and then they're not going to have a water gun hooked up to suit. <laughs> but at the same time, there are people, and by people, I mean, I definitely would. I, I need to keep pushing the boundaries for myself. And as a developer, as I, I mentioned, like it's so much harder for me to become fully immersed. And that's kind of like the downside of by understanding how it all works. Like I'm so much 
Uh, you're more immersed than the average person, so like I'm less almost... immersed than the average. Less, okay. Yeah, I, it takes a lot more for me to be convinced. Like I'm always, oh, gotcha. I'll be playing like the latest top of the line game, and then I'll be like, I'll go to the corner of the room and find something. And I'm like, and Half Life Alex, for example, like it's like this fully completely immersive game for so many people. For so many people, you can pick up a marker and like draw on a window, and people are loving that. But I. The first thing I did is there was a rotary phone and I went in and I was like, can I spin this? And I was like, I can't spin it. Okay. My immersion is ruined. <laughs> I got it. That's good though because, you know, developers are going to push each other yeah. to build more immersive environments. But let's move on to, um, we're coming towards the uh, the end of the show here. So let's move on to uh, kind of the future and the what future. we're looking at. So concepts beyond what exists currently and where yeah. we're headed. So... Let's start with, what, to me, the ultimate state of just casual consumer experience is just a very lightweight pair of just glasses that you can put on. And yeah. I know not everyone even likes this, the extent of having to put anything on, but you, you got to compromise. You yeah, can't just, yes. until you just want to replace your eyes or, <laughs> I mean, you got to compromise I mean, and wear, go there. you got to wear something. Yes, um, exactly. So just a lightweight, just basically your your regular pair of glasses if you need them if you don't something that you'll still get used to yeah and you'll just get used to seeing everyone wearing glasses or i know there's even the idea of contacts but you know mm-hmm. I, um where as you wear them they have full augmented reality capabilities full smart full-on smart glasses they can connect to the internet mm-hmm. they basically replace all like current phones like who needs a phone when you have a smart like you can still even interact with a phone yeah because you can still see a virtual phone but you don't need to carry something around with you um in the short term even uh i know apple might be going in the direction of uh by getting quicker to those glasses they're powered by your phone so you you have your you know top of the line iphone and that is the the powerhouse for your glasses because uh to pack that level of technology into it, that is the golden state for casual consumer wearables. Yes. On the extreme end, I imagine a full-on, like, haptic suit, uh, like a, a whole environment that can react to you. And yep. this will be stuff like uh, VR esports, where you can... Oh, to me, it's really kind of the idea idea. of when you can have a full-on, like... American football game where you can <laughs> you can actually area. tackle someone and the other person will feel like they're getting tackled and oh get tackled to the ground and as far as social as a uh, safety stuff goes you can imagine where there's actually safety features where the same stuff can happen but you won't then get a concussion on the ground like <laughs> the the technology can have some sort of uh, mm-hmm. safety features against that or like you said it only needs to be a slight stimulation yeah and then you know uh, give them the option, crank up the intensity if you want, <laughs> yeah. make it a feature, and then put all your disclaimers. But <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I definitely think, uh, so, yeah, for heavy enthusiasts and like e athletes, where video games, and then you can have sports that are as athletic and as physical as real world sports mm-hmm. with the added benefit of it could be anything. It could be magic. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, Zero G. Exactly. Um, so I do want to dive in here in the last few minutes. Um, so there's a popular show out there. 
popular <laughs> anime. Popular anime. That, uh, probably that kind of tackles this concept a little bit. Again, one of the first anime that I watched that uh, introduced me to VR from from a very high end concept. Yep, and we are talking about Sword Art Online. Sword Art Online, and this is even more relevant because 2022, which is when we're recording this, is when Sword Art Online takes place. Wow, okay. Which is impressive. It was written in like early 2000s, and they predicted that that level of technology would exist today. Mm-hmm. So that level of technology being uh, a full... So bringing back the idea of brain-computer interfaces. So there's two sides to, it, to that. There's non, non-invasive brain-computer mm-hmm. interfaces, which only read, or in the case of Sorter Online, is the idea where it can uh, actually stimulate your brain and go into it. And so this is the idea of full-dive VR, mm-hmm. where forget... All of the peripheral technology we talked about before, you are inside the environment. It is simulated within your head. Mm-hmm. And so you can just simulate any sense that you want. And to that degree, with extreme safety measures, Yeah. I mean, as a developer, yeah, this t- would be testing it, if you one. like have something where it's like a pain receptor in the game, and it's like, oh, something's bugged, that's at level 1,000 now. <laughs> that's something we're going to need to be careful of. But yeah. So Sword Art Online yeah, this, takes this, this idea of you're you're in the game and um, and this is the most extreme version of VR that we can think of. Yeah, you know this is like also the least athletic as well because you're literally lying on your that bed. Is, yeah, that is very different. It. Yep. So the yeah, but yeah. still, it's definitely it's definitely interesting to think about because there are people who's gonna do it. Yeah. <laughs> I would do it. Yeah, exactly. I would do it. it's, it's something that I would certainly try. Uh-huh. Um, and we can only hope that the cautionary tale of how um, easily manipulatable that sort of thing is, because in Sword Art Online, if you haven't watched it, it becomes something that they're they're trapped in. They're so the technology is so advanced, and the people are so trusting of it that the creator of it can just be like, "Well, you're trapped in here now. You can't take off the device." <laughs> yes. All right, so, uh, yeah, that's bring us to the end here. Um, I know next week, I think you guys are just going to have Chris. Um, he's going to be going into these topics more in detail or, or rambling, whatever he prefers, <laughs> you know. So um, that's kind of, and I'll just give us. Yeah, I'll probably talk about some of my own ideas and applications okay. towards, like, beyond just the base technology, just some of the actual experiences we can expect to have. Okay, yeah, no, that sounds super interesting. Um, I look forward to listening to it. I know our viewers are going to look forward to listening <laughs> to it. So uh, I hope you're excited to do it. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, then I will see you yeah. in two weeks. I'll see you then. All right. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Okay, so this is something that we're also going to be doing here. Um, at the end of the episodes, we're going to be doing a little outro, whether it's, and it's, it can be different, you know, it doesn't be the same thing, but whether it's catching up with what we're doing, um, something kind of irrelevant just to kind of get to know us a little bit better, or, um, you know, things we're looking to do, things that we've done, recommendations, even, you know, TV shows, whatever, just something 
a little bit outside of the of the uh, actual topics here that we're just gonna do to talk talk with each other, uh, get to know you better. Um, we can answer viewer feedback during this time as well. If you guys wanna uh, write us questions, we'll have the our email in the show notes so that way you guys can uh, just ask questions as well. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, Chris, I don't know if you had any uh, interesting topics you want to talk about this week. If, if not, I have one, so. Uh, what do you got? Um, <laughs> so I just have a recommendation. We were just talking about Sword Art Online. Yes. And in a similar vein, um, I just finished watching. This the... was going to be my question, actually. If oh. I had one, was uh, what anime are you yes. into? Yes. <laughs> yep. So I just finished watching the second season of Demon Slayer. Mm-hmm. And... Initially, I watched the first season, or I watched a couple episodes of the first season a, a while ago, So, and it, it hasn't been out that long, but mm-hmm. it's also not super new. And I watched like, the first six episodes. For some reason, I didn't get into it. I think the season yeah. starts out a little slow, the anime in general, but I just want to say, like, holy wow. <laughs> Even if you don't care about the storyline or whatever, I would suggest at least watching the second season for the animations alone. Mm-hmm. It's up there with like season four, like the season four of Attack on Titan. It's up there with Arcane. I would even almost put it wow. up. Yeah, it's a different animation style, but and I will say Arcane's in a league of its own. Yeah, I'll be I'll be fair to them. I think they're like kind of tears above, but I but I think it's up there with like Attack on Titan season four, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So definitely recommend checking them out. It's a great story too. But if nothing else, at least just for the animations. Because yeah. they take a while to release seasons. So. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so. If yeah. you're interested in that kind of stuff, it's worth listening. It's worth checking out. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I think I probably watched about as much as you did, and I haven't gone back yet. So I think I, I Def- probably will. <laughs> Definitely <laughs> recommend it. Uh, the what I'm, What's been on my head the most the last few days has actually been the one piece manga it's like at a peak of the entire story right now <laughs> did like, luffy win yet <laughs> <laughs> no spoilers <laughs> um, gotcha. but the it's just been fun <laughs> so i've been yeah. really enjoying that yeah i i will admit i don't watch nor i read one piece but i read a little bit of information on i will say reddit the other day and someone mm. was saying something in the latest chapter. Yep, the latest chapter had been like brewing since the very beginning <laughs> of the manga, which is incredible. It's funny. There's like these people who are talking about it. Like, there's been no fore- foreshadowing. What the heck is this? And the other people that are like, this was the plan all along. Yeah. There's little hints throughout all of it. It's a very just because it's like again something that's major to the whole story some people are apparently not very happy i don't read those oh. i just read people's reactions towards the people that are happy <laughs> because those are the ones that get more popular apparently. yeah yeah but mostly i just like to read the people who are having fun yeah nice nice so that's interesting though i yeah. look forward to because i mean i don't watch it but you do show me like current episodes because i don't really mind yeah. spoilers. i'm really hoping that someday uh, the whole show gets like reanimated with like really high end. Kind of like the Dragon Ball treatment. They yeah. had uh, Dragon Ball Kai. And I, it? I love the voice acting. So if at all possible, they could just keep the voices and then reanimate the whole thing to be like very well paced. Yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> Even if it's from the fans, I know Seven Deadly Sins <laughs> had to have their fans cover some of the animations, <laughs> and it came out a lot better. <laughs> but yeah, no, I look forward to. 
hearing from you how it progresses because uh, it's about like 1,000 episodes I'm a bit out of range for now. Yeah, the, <laughs> the chapter that just came out was 1,044. I need the TLDR now <laughs> at this point in time. <laughs> bit too much of a time, a bit too much of a time commitment. But yeah, that. so with that said, uh, we will see you guys next week. Yeah. Have a good one.